Hello and welcome to the Marketing Futures Podcast, proud member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Berberich. Technology, it's made our lives easier, our work faster, and expanded the horizons of what's possible. It can also be annoying as when it doesn't work right. Our guest today is Nicole Levings, Managing Director of Audience Collective. Nicole shared findings of their new report on the brand-consumer tech relationship and why organizing around a human-centric digital experience is vital to succeed in the modern marketplace. She provided tips for legacy brands and upstarts alike to imbue their customer journey with a human touch. Let's start the show. Everyone, we are back in the ANA Marketing Futures virtual podcast studio, and I am super excited to welcome my guest today, uh, Nicole Levings, Managing Director of Audience Collective. Nicole, how are you doing? Really good, thank you. Super excited to be talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much for being a guest. I really, really appreciate it. It's absolutely my pleasure. I'm excited. So we're going to jump into something that is really um personally to me, a fascinating topic. So I love that we get to spend some time talking on the pod. But before we begin, I want to get uh, my audience a little more familiar with you. So if you would, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how your journey led you to become the Managing Director of Audience Collective? Absolutely. Well, um, I was born and raised in the UK, um, as you can probably tell by the accent. Um, And I after university went into advertising agency world and that was up in the north in Leeds. London was a city that never really took my fancy. It was a little bit too big. So I went up to Leeds and, you know, worked my way up really there from, you know, that count accounts person, count coordinator all the way, all the way up. And through that career progression, really kind of started specializing um, in brand and brand planning, brand strategy. And really that took my interest um, in terms of why do humans do what they do and also then say how they feel, but sometimes that doesn't match (laughs) doing what they do. And that complex human behavior and how brand can tap into the emotion of of that and, and basically win basically um i was working for a awesome boutique branding agency who wanted to set up in the us specifically los angeles this was 2015 and ultimately my career brought me here um and i set that business up for them so we were working between the us and the uk and then um did that for about seven years in in LA and over the past year just launched Audience Collective in the US and I think what really intrigued me about them was that you know the model of the collective that they were kind of uh, bringing to market I hadn't really seen before so a privately owned collective of specialist agencies um, who are experts in a channel of marketing be it research media PR Ecom, what whatever it is, creative, and there's little to no overlap of, of services. So what we're able to do is curate a client account team based on the bespoke needs of the client brief. And so the client gets the benefit of one procurement process, one agency to manage, one central point of contact, but multiple deep experts in each channel. 
instead of having to manage like six or seven different agencies and get them to all talk to each other, you know, mm -hmm. so it was a model that I hadn't really um, seen before, like I say. And so here we are. I love it. And that is a really fascinating. I was going to say, we need to have you back again, just to talk about the model around audience collective and how something like that comes together. But today, we are talking for a very specific reason because Audience Collective recently released a fascinating report on the human tech brand relationship. Uh, and there are some very interesting findings, but before we kind of jump into the report itself, could you tell our listeners what led you to pursue this topic in particular? You know, we're always trying to stay ahead of what's important to our clients and what we're kind of naming the digital revolution or some might call it you know the revolution 5.0 it's rising on the agenda um, in boardrooms all over the world however our experience to date had been that many examples of digital transformation had been solely focused on delivering cost savings and those very much more functional benefits to the end consumer and yet human centricity in this revolution may well actually make the difference between success and failure for a brand. And so we wanted to show that there was an alternative approach, not only to show that we could find a way to include the human aspect in the discussion, but also to show that there was an opportunity for real competitive advantage by doing so. Mm. And with our personal mission as a, as a company, as Audience Collective, being to create change for brands by seeking out actionable insights, it just made sense to dive into this as a topic and um, to support with that conversation. You know, conducting our own research is how we live up to our own proposition of a collection of insights, insight first driven agencies. And data, you know, to us has the power to paralyze a brand or set it free. And so the evidence from the research felt very much needed to be able to empower confident decision making at board level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, well, first of all, I love the statement that data could either paralyze a brand or set it free. I think that is so that itself we could dive a, a mile deep into. But yeah. I completely agree. Um, but the reason that this timing is just so perfect for you to be on the Marketing Futures podcast is that earlier this year, we released a hyper growth report on kind of what marketers who are poised for short and long term growth versus those who are kind of drowning in stagnancy, what the difference is and a human connection while shoring up your digital transformation was a huge, huge spot in the winner's circle. So I can say that, you know, on our, our side of the, the U.S., we're finding the same exact data findings. So I think that's why this is just such a perfect timing and such a perfect meetup. Yeah, now, we're sat on two different coasts right now, aren't we? <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. But we're saying the same song. <laughs> Um, so specifically, this report looks at the human tech relationship as opposed to the tech-enabled brand-human relationship. And can you explain some of the differences between the two? Yeah, I think the one of the places that I think we have to start with any of this before we start talking about brands and what companies should do and, and tech, like you say, tech-enabled stuff is understands just understand everyone's starting point with tech right mm -hmm. so Absolutely. whether you're a brand or person um you know perhaps getting frustrated with a parent because they don't know how to work something 
you know, we all need to remember that there's a starting point. And so, you know, it could be someone who's 65 who got their first phone at age 45, you know, and maybe they only used it for calls and texts. Or what about an 80-year-old who only got their first phone at 65? Versus that Gen Z who has had a smartphone since they were 10 years old and can't live without it, Mm -hmm. you know, so, and everybody then in the middle, right. You know, and there's this fascinating stat that um, actually isn't one of ours, but I have heard it a lot is that 50% of Gen Z's would rather lose their friend than a phone. Good Lord. (laughs) My goodness. But I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Exactly. So that's where we are, you know, and, and so so I think it's just important to bring us back to that, like just the basics, right? Like before we get into, into heavy research and like thinking about tech is, you know, how many of us have like had our parents say, oh, well, I couldn't find this or I didn't know where to go for lunch. You're like, why don't you just Google it? It's not on their radar. Like they, they just would not be their default. And even that causes like a frustration, you know, well, certainly does with me. <laughs> But I think that, you know, to get back to the question, 55% of people, that's what we found is are excited about the future of tech, right? And they cite convenience, speed and ease as key benefits. Okay, now they're very functional benefits. So that's just interesting to know. Mm -hmm. 72% understand that without tech, companies can't progress. But 35% feel controlled by tech as opposed to being in control. And this feeling of being controlled is actually highest amongst Gen Zs. So I predict a rebellion at some point with that demographic, Um, you know, and, and to bring it back to the human is there's a concern around the facelessness of tech. So humans starting to lose control. No one's taking responsibility. And that responsibility comes from if there's something wrong and I can't get hold of someone at this company, they're not taking responsibility. They're not acting in a fair way. And that's the feeling and sentiment and, and emotion that, that is, uh, is coming through. So Concerns are raised in the research by 48%. Now that, and just just to say is, this was all demographics Mm -hmm. and it was all um, from novice to expert tech users. So there was a real mix in there. So 48% raised concerns over the loss of human conversations and the ability to have face-to-face interactions or think for ourselves. Mm. You know, it comes back down to, I'll just Google everything. Yeah. I'll Google it, you know, (laughs) Google is the best friend. And then 45% stated that tech creates addiction. So, you know, aside from the social aspect, you know, where we've all been in a room when everyone's on their phones, many feel like we're just handing over too much control to robots. Um, So there's a bit of a moment of sadness for what that future of tech will look like. And um, people are scared for future generations. Um, and how that will imp- impact their lives. And I think that what we're starting to see socially is that tech can unite or divide. So people by age, by ability, which creates a, like this new form of social supremacy. So I think that what needs to happen is that there needs to be this rebalancing done to ensure that like tech meets individuals' needs and abilities. We can't just assume that everyone will just keep up. So if you think about tech ownership and adoption, such as... I don't know, like a nest in your home, Um, a console, a even Amazon um, Prime, right? Mm -hmm. 
companies need to look at how they onboard those tech novices. Because what what are we saying that they would well, they just can't have it, you know? And the older generation, the silent generation, have got the most spending power, you know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so I think, you know, they've got a huge disposable income. So I think that you've got the social side of addiction, you know, loss of human conversation, interaction and scared for what the future might bring. But then the next tech enabled stuff of the brand and tech is where does the company's responsibility fall in to make sure that everyone can can have this and and keep up basically. So, Nicole, you and I have uh, had conversations before, and uh, one of the times you brought up something that very succinctly kind of summed up this conversation is that tech works until it doesn't. Now, can you explain what you mean by that and why it's so important for brands to really understand? If we take online shopping, anything like that, right? It makes us happy in the moment, you know, and we feel so in control of what we've just done, you know, with the purchase that we've just made, etc. But when we hit that block where the computer says no or something, you know, we get moments of frustration and they that's what then emerges and there is immediately a friction. So, you know, you and I can sit here as can a ton of other people and give a million anecdotes of where this has gone wrong. And, you know, I was talking with a friend the other day over coffee and little did she know I was very tuned into the story that she was telling me uh, knowing I was coming on this podcast, but she worked with a, a brand who delivered a mattress to her home. And they left it at the bottom of the stairs, like, and the outside building, right? Now, arguably, not the brand's fault. Mm-hmm. Delivery driver, etc. But who's she going to turn to, okay? And poor Love actually had a bad back at the time and was not oh, about to drag no. a mattress upstairs. So she calls, she gets through to someone, they tell her, don't worry, someone's going to ring you back. So she feels, in that moment, validated, right? But guess who calls her back? an automated machine. Oh man. So they can't resolve it, you know? So, and this happens, this cycle happens until she says, no, you know, you can't keep doing this because what's happening, it's not solving the customer problem. Now, ultimately she had to bring it upstairs with her friends anyway, but mm-hmm. what does that cause? It's friction, you know? And have you ever tried to cancel a subscription? <laughs> like, oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> that email, tell us phone call call your bank like Mm -hmm. it's it's the worst and so I think that when something doesn't work (laughs) you want to talk to someone and part of that is the emotional need to be seen heard and validated and often that is it's not even just it's despite the solution sometimes so that's what I mean by like tech works until it doesn't we don't need these things until we need them, but then we need them to work. Otherwise, there's a big difference between what we call flow and I'll, and friction. Okay, so tech wins when it creates flow, which is we want to engage with it. It enhances my life and it makes sense. But tech loses when it creates tension, um, you know, when... I have to engage with it, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. uh, get what I want. And it doesn't enhance my life and it makes it harder. 
So Absolutely. I think that's the push-pull like dynamic. And, um, you know, it really is the Gen Zs and the millennials driving those chatbots. Um, and I do think they have a place. They really do. Um, but it's not the entire solution. Yes. And I was just going to say those moments of friction, not only do you need human help, it's typically you want human help immediately, indirectly. Yeah. You know, those are the moments, you know, that needs to be the level of connection in that. Yeah, exactly. And that's where functional need states of speed, ease, convenience are great until the emotional need state comes in. And that's a completely different thing. And so that's what I think that, you know, the balance needs to be. And the research showed that 76% of people think that reaching a human customer service rep is like hitting the jackpot. Yeah. They're like, you know, we've all seen that skit on Friends when Phoebe's on hold for something like eight hours, um, you know, et cetera. It, it's true, though. We've all been there. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to keep this completely anonymous and quick, but for my company, I'm in charge of different vendor platforms. I have to go pick something if we're going to do something new. And there was one instance where the company that won was the company that actually emailed my question with a human response. You, I couldn't tell you how many dozens of, well, here's our FAQ. I'm like, Okay, well, I'm a very online person and I went through your FAQ and I even used the little fu- the search function and it's absolutely <laughs> nowhere there. Yeah. And, and then a follow-up would be, well, here's one particular link to an article. And it's like, I, I, I need one or two pretty straightforward answers. It's going to take a human being five, seven minutes on an email. And that's a hundred percent. Thankfully the functionality was there, but I stopped looking at the functionality at a certain point because when the tech doesn't work, I need to know that there's at least a human being somewhere on the other side. Yeah, so, do they exist? A hundred percent. So a hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent. But so speaking of humans on the other side, how do marketers organize around a human centric digital experience. The Champions of Growth podcast explores the various aspects of the ANA growth agenda with the goal of helping marketing leaders create a stronger, more sustainable economic future for their brands. With topics ranging from brand safety and ad fraud to marketing organization, host Matthew Schwartz discusses the topics that matter with our industry's foremost leaders. Check out ANA.net slash podcast to learn more. 93% respondents wanted human customer service. So that's alarming. Well, not actually, I shouldn't say it's alarming. It's alarming in the sense that Gen Zs are in there, millennials are in there. And so it's a high, high number, right? Yeah. So I think that, I mean, the best example I like to give from a brand point of view is Warby Parker, okay? I'm sure you've heard of them, Mm -hmm. for those that haven't. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where have you been? Under a rock. (laughs) Um, But they disrupted the the eyewear industry by building what was initially a D2C model. Um, They have stores now, but originally that's what it was, whereby you order the product you're interested in, you try them on at home for free over five days, free return shipping, um, send back the frames you don't want, keep what you do. Um, Great idea, game changer model, right? Now, they could not have done that successfully without tech, i.e. an easy to navigate website, great shipping times, the 
free returns, process, and ultimately great customer service. And when they started the company, it's four guys, I think they met at college, you know, they have always stated that their goal is to treat customers the way they'd like to be treated with warmth, helpfulness, empathy, and incredible service. You know, and if you Google, just go, if you Google Warby Parker besides the store, all you'll see is articles that talk about exceptional customer service. They're, they're absolutely everywhere. And they live and breathe this like uh, manifesto. Consumers can opt in for personal interaction where they can text the brand, right? Mm. Then if they want, they can put the glasses on and ask the brand what they think of how they look in them, <laughs> you know? And it's amazing. Yeah, would they have any other frames that, might, that they might suggest? They can literally have a one-on-one -on -one personal like interaction over text with the brand. And um, I think they actually can do virtual try-ons now on an app, but you know, things move on. The whole point is that you can access them. And when you go on the site, the chat bot doesn't hit you in the face. It's down the bottom and you can choose do I want to text? Do I want a um, chat bot? Do I want to call? Do I want to email? Do I want to go in store? And, you know, that all stems from the executives. They foster empathy with the customers and they are sat regularly side by side with those customer service reps listening to the calls. And that's from the top down to the bottom, you know, and it's just such a great example of human centric brand. So I, I, I literally, I love that example. I, I, you know, I think it sums everything up, up, up really nicely. And I think ultimately companies just need to help consumers by offering the right balance. That's what we're, that's what we're saying. Like you have to do away with tech, you know, but it's a hybrid, a personalized approach. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, and I think you, abs I think you nailed it. I think you have to meet people where they are or you are going to lose them. Mm -hmm. Um, so for a lot of our, our our listeners who are from brands that may not be either at a, a startup level like Warby Parker, where you've got the leanness and the agility and then just making the right decisions to become a rock solid global brand at this point, I believe, uh, but they feel global even if they they aren't, they've just got that prominence. So if they're not that and they're not a PNG that can just say, hey, can we get $20 million because we need a lot of people and a lot of tech? What are brands who are on more modest uh, budgets? How can they imbue humanity into their digital channels? I would say offer SMS text messaging, but with a real human, right? So you don't have to have them call volumes and things like that. Um, even, even our eight-year-olds have a mobile phone that can text. Um, might take them an half an hour to type the text. Um, <laughs> three bubbles come up for a long time. <laughs> but I think that also they can take a leaf out of Warby Parker's book by sitting with their customer service teams and seeing what are they dealing with and what are the customers asking for. Um, also, if you've got customers, do a survey with them. Ask them what they want. You know, use your audience to inform your next step right so um and i mean if you can add a phone number you know onto that onto that website um you could have a time of day where 60 plus can call in mm -hmm. and, and and no one else you know and advertise that you know we did that with covid didn't we we were allowed yeah our older generations into the grocery store 
was at a certain time, you know, maybe there's a certain time that they can they can call in um, and they get a dedicated service. I love that. Yeah, that could be that. But I would just say, like, try where you can to ensure frictions and frustrations are minimized. Mm-hmm. If, if, you're, if you're on a budget, you know, that's um, I would say listening to what your audience and, and is asking for and, and trying to implement it from there. Mm-hmm. And to your in, uh, initial point, nobody's going to be able to tell you exactly where the friction points are better than a your audience, your your customers and be customer service. Sitting with them is not only just, you know, getting an idea for who the audience is, but they could tell you right off the bat, I'm sure any customer service professional right now, if you walked in and were like, what's the, uh, the most friction, uh, full touch point. I don't think anybody would, I think yeah. everybody would have an answer directly okay. for you. So even if you have to choose, you have folks on your team who can tell you where your focus should be. I think. Yeah. The brands that will win will be the ones that are saying, okay, our functional needs are speed, ease, and convenience, but they're adding in their options for digital or human interaction, right? As a basic function. Then the emotional differentiator will then be, how does that experience make me feel? Did I feel valued, listened to? Was this a, a solution? Were they kind? Um, put, it puts that customer back in control and ultimately shows that human behind the tech. Um, mm. and that will be the winning combination. Absolutely. And um, just to bring up Warby Parker one more time, I, 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 I shouldn't because I'm not getting sponsorship dollars. But, not. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but they really screen their customer service people to be kind of exceptional personalities, not just that you're a competent individual, but they're really going for, yeah. like you said, that warmth, that kindness. Um and it's a part of, you know, I feel like psychology is missing in a lot of marketing today. Yes, yeah. And that is one very easy way to put it right back in. That's a fantastic point. Yeah, exactly. You Definitely. Um, yeah, I think, I think as well, a brand that takes responsibility for its errors and actions, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just be reachable and be responsible. <laughs> yeah. Be more like a human being, you know, yeah. uh, act as if. <laughs> so, Nicole, before we kind of pivot the uh, the episode a little bit, if folks are interested in learning more about Audience Collective, maybe learning more about this, uh, the report, where can they go to, to find out more? They can email me if they like. <laughs> it's uh, Nicole, N-I-C-O-L-E, at thisisaudience.com. Um, I will happily share that report with all the stats and all the data and um, obviously always open to have these types of conversations where we can make it mean something, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. Audience, Nicole at thisisaudience.com. All right. So we ask this next question uh, to all of our guests and we leave it open pretty intentionally. Nicole, what are your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, well, something that I'm super passionate about and really also proud of is that um, the audience collective as a whole, you know, globally, five out of our six managing directors are women. 
like myself included um and that to me is just absolutely incredible and a sign of you know equality moving in the right direction I think that especially being based in LA as well um you know where I see a lot of startups and you know accelerator programs and incubators and all of this you know and there's more women founders, there's more women on boards, there's more women in tech roles. Um, I think we've still got a little bit of a long way to go with females being invested in, in the same as um, as their male counterparts. But um, I do feel really good about where it's headed. And I do feel that female empowerment and, and that side of things is, um, is on the rise and supported and celebrated. So that to me is um, just fantastic. Hell yeah. No, I love it. And it's it's actually really funny because earlier today I was talking with the chairwoman of the Marketing Futures Committee, and she's just become uh, a, getting into a group of early stage investors specifically for women in health tech and femtech. So I'm just, I'm, yeah. I love to hear it twice in a day. I love to hear that the, <laughs> the movement's happening. Um, that just makes me, that just makes me more optimistic for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yes. Um, so, all right, Nicole, we've been talking easy stuff, <laughs> future brand tech, customer brand relations, just easy, easy, one-on-one type stuff. Easy. Now we get to the hard question. <laughs> Nicole, are you ready? Yes. Okay. Nicole Evans, managing director, audience collective. Nicole at thisisaudience.com. <laughs> what is your favorite album of all time and why red hot chili peppers californication all right (laughs) i love it i lived in the uk it was that time in my life of no responsibilities young adulting friends fun freedom (laughs) no responsibilities and yeah it just it, it it strikes a chord every time and takes me right back there, um, especially being in Hyde Park, watching them live. Yeah, I was about to say, when you touched down in LA, did you just pop the headphones on and just blast it here, there and everywhere? I actually, you know, sometimes that you forget about albums, mm-hmm. you know, like you, you it's, it, it represents a time in your life. And, 100%. and, and then I remember, I remember it must have, I I can't even put a time on it, but it definitely wasn't that like that I landed here and put it on. But then I heard it and I was like, wow, I'm here. <laughs> I love it. That's amazing. That's an awesome, yeah. awesome answer. And I'm that's so cool that you got to see them in California. I have to imagine that that's a specific level of energy um, when they're back at home. So let's bring it up to the present day. Uh, what are you listening to now? Be it an artist, a song, podcast, maybe it's a book. What's got you excited nowadays? So it's actually a British podcast um, called High Performance. Um, It's with Jake Humphrey and Damien Hughes. Damien Hughes is a psychologist, I believe, a professor. And Jake Humphrey, he's had a long career, but he used to present the Formula One on Channel 4. And basically what they've done is come together and they give the audience, I guess, a glimpse into the lives of high achieving world-class sort of performers. So that could be... Lewis Hamilton in the sporting arena or um, Stephen Bartlett in business, whoever, you know, mm-hmm. or best-selling authors, pop stars. Um, and it's basically storytelling with lessons from the best on becoming the best. 
Mm. I think what's really interesting about it is that if you actually like cut through like and look at what the linear kind of takeaway is, it's do the basics right. Don't forget about the basics, you know, mm. but um, I love hearing about all these stories of success and they're very honest about their failures as well, which I think is is so important nowadays to talk about. Um, and then that led me to have you heard of Masterclass? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so I'm really enjoying Masterclass right now. I feel like might, I might be a little bit late to the game on that one, but I'm loving it. So, um, yeah, signed up to that. And then when I need a bit of downtime and I just need my pop culture, um, there's two girls that I love called, and they're uh, the Giggly Squad. <laughs> Don't re- recommend that you listen to it. <laughs> Is that a podcast or a, a musical? It's outfit? a podcast and it's ridiculous, but it's, it's hilarious. If there's any gigglers out there, they'll know what I mean. <laughs> well, Nicole, thank you so, so much. This has been a really, really great conversation. I think our listeners have a lot to digest. And I think everybody who has heard this podcast has something to take away that they can immediately start thinking about integrating into their brands. And like I said at the very beginning, we might just need to have you back here at the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures Podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.